This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Uh, we continue our conversation right, right here on Power Talk with myself and Tlantla Siuma in for Lerato Mbele this morning. And uh, this time looking at the vast landscape of faith and uh, belief systems. I mean, there exists a delicate balance between religious devotion and uh, the perilous realm of cultism. Recent revelations surrounding the legacy of Pastor T.B. Joshua from Nigeria in this uh, popular BBC documentary, The Cult of T.B. Joshua, have reignited a discourse on the fine line between religious fervor and the insidious grip of cult-like manipulation. And the documentary exposes a harrowing reality of abuse, uh, exploitation as well within once uh, a, a revered church as one of the world's largest Christian uh, uh, congregations in the world. And as allegations of staged miracles, a sexual assault, uh, coercion come to light, we are also compelled to confront uncomfortable truths about uh, potential dangers which are lurking behind these uh, charismatic uh, religious leaders and their fervent followings as well. And this is not an isolated incident. Across Africa and beyond, we encounter stories of individuals who are led astray by promises of salvation, uh, only to find themselves uh, ensnared in the clutches of this destructive cult. Uh, From Kenya right here to South Africa, the names of self-proclaimed prophets and uh, pastors, uh, pastors of doom even, uh, they echo with the taste of manipulation, this uh, coercion and tragedy that we keep uh, seeing or reading about. And in this exploration in the culture corner, we are embarking on a journey to really dissect the intricate dynamics between religion and cultism. And as we delve into the defining characteristics of uh, or distinguishing one from the other, unraveling the mechanisms of control, you know, this manipulation and harm that often lurk beneath the surface. Uh, through candid conversation and thought-provoking insights, with this conversation, we, we really endeavor to shed light on the blurred boundaries that uh, challenge our understanding of faith and spirituality as well. Joining me is Dr. Butlempofu, who is a theologian and a lecturer at the University of Pretoria. We also have Nogpila Mathalela, who is a clinical psychologist, uh, Anele Siswana, also a cultural expert and clinical psychologist, uh, joining us uh, for this segment. A pleasure to have you all on the program. Uh, Dr. Butlempofu, I'll start with you. Uh, as a theologian and a lecturer, you have a deep understanding of religious dynamics. How would you define the distinction between legitimate religious movements and a cult? And what are the key characteristics that differentiate the two? Good morning, and thank you for having me and greetings to our listeners online. I'm especially fascinated by the two words that you use in the introduction, the promises of salvation. And of course, you speak of how people end up ensnared. That is an indication clearly that sometimes we are lowered in some uh, uh, contexts or situations for religious reasons, but we end up being ensnared. So in order to kickstart this conversation, I do want to draw some characteristic uh, differences uh, in distinguishing between the two. Uh, a cult and the beliefs. So generally, when we talk about beliefs, we talk of this human idea that we all need to relate to the supernatural. 
and beliefs refer to the acceptance that something exists that is beyond our own human power. And often without proof, then we embrace uh, these religious practices. Some are philosophical or some are ideological or even personal convictions. Mm. Then we direct worship to, in some cases, this unseen supernatural uh, figure or God. But in some cases, it is a visible object where people direct this kind of worship or veneration. Mm. So beliefs can be based on evidence, sometimes personal experiences or cultural upbringing Mm. Mm. or teachings from authoritative uh, uh, sources or even figures. And they are typically uh, uh, clustered into groups. Uh, This is why we have uh, different religions or even different religious communities. But what is important about beliefs is that in most cases, they are open to questioning, Hmm. re-evaluation, or sometimes even change. People transform or sometimes even move from one kind of belief to another Mm. as they get new knowledge. And critical to that is the constructive engagement. And when we teach theology, one of the things that we emphasize is that whatever beliefs we have, these must be life-affirming. Whether it is the values or practice that are religious, they must all be life-affirming. But contrary to that, when we are talking about cultism Um, or the cult, this is in some way the same kind of uh, beliefs as I've explained, but the difference with cultism Mm. is that it is very closely monitored and regulated and the activities of the members are closely uh, monitored in a very authoritarian way. And often there's isolation, in some cases manipulation, intimidation Mm -hmm. and the result is that sometimes there is therefore no respect for human dignity and they are harmful practices and cults often exhibit characteristics uh, that in a way are harmful Mm -hmm. and they view outsiders as you know hostile people or they treat outsiders with suspicion which in a nutshell, means that they do not embrace constructive engagement Mm. and questioning of what they believe. But we believe that any faith that is healthy should be open to criticism and should be embracing what we call in some circles liberty of opinion, Mm. especially in areas where there is really no fundamental doctrines of the faith that are being questioned. Uh, If we don't do that, then we end up with a situation where people are promised salvation, but end up lured to places where they are ensnared, as you indicated. Briefly, that is the distinction between the two. Thank you so much for that explanation. Let me also get or hear from our other two guests, that's uh, Nokpila Mathalela as well as uh, Anele Siswana. Uh, Nokpila, I'll start with you. As, as a clinical psychologist, you've more likely encountered individuals impacted by uh, cult-like environments. Uh, what psychological mechanisms are at play within cults and, and how do these dynamics influence individuals' beliefs and their behavior? Um, usually you'd find that um, the belief system, which I would uh, describe as a worldview of one's person, 
might be also influenced by the environment that they are interacting in. So for one, if you find that an individual who's undergoing through life crisis or transition, uh, financial difficulties, they are trying to search for meaning on how to mitigate some of the issues that they are facing in life. But then they struggle to mitigate. And then when they find themselves in a religious uh, group whereby they feel accepted, they feel like um, uh, assisted and belonging because everyone wants to belong. It's a physiological need to want to to be accepted, to want mm. to be loved, to want safety. It's part of the needs of a human being. So mm. when you mm. find that environment that kind of gives you all those aspects, you feel safe. And then when that environment starts to influence how you see life around you and also how you might see yourself and also how you might want to um, satisfy some of the needs that you have. That's mm. where the problems start to to uh, get into a psychological difficulty whereby it can create a cognitive resonance for an individual yeah. where they find they have an internal conflict now of the worldview that they had before the joining that certain uh, group. Now there's a clash, but because they want to belong to that certain group, they don't yeah. want to be outcasted, to be feeling so alone. They might find themselves neglecting their own needs and now making sure that they pour into the needs of that uh, group that they've just joined where they feel like that they belong. And that leads to self-betrayal. That's where the psychological impact comes right, in, right. where you find people are in more financial difficulties than when they entered the crowd. And uh, even when they want to leave that kind of group, it now becomes difficult to, where do I go to? Where will I get this acceptance and love? Then it leads to the depression, mm. the, the anxiety as well, when they think of leaving. That's what leads them to now need psychological assistance. Right, right. Uh, let's get uh, a view as well from Anele Siswana, who's a cultural expert and clinical psychologist. Uh, Anele, you bring a unique perspective to this discussion. Uh, can you shed light on the societal and uh, cultural factors that contribute to individuals becoming susceptible to these uh, uh, cult-like recruitment and manipulation as well? Yeah, I mean, well, in addition to what you've just mentioned, I am also a, a practicing uh, a healer. Mm. I do not like to use this word traditional healer, especially in the context of what we are talking about okay. today, because then the construct of traditional healing in the way of how it's positioned um, somehow, especially as people from other religious groups or faith belief systems that are not necessarily in line with African spirituality, often view it as more of a cult practice because of some of these unorthodox um, practices or ways in which people have always constructed and positioned what it means to be a traditional healer. But maybe to bring in one's perspective to what we're talking about, mm. I think the reason why people find themselves in these um, cult and grouping or settings, um, as my colleague mentioned, that people are in search of a deeper meaning. And what I often see with these cult groups is that there's often a sense of um, of gratification or a sense of being lured into something that then seems so meaningful. And because sometimes it's led by a leader who, for the most part, we see clinically, most of cult leaders are people with strong 
pathological uh, personality issues. I mean, if you are going to be led by a pastor who has extreme narcissistic or um, psychopathological personality traits, chances are that person uses manipulation, uses control, and by virtue of this sense of omnipotence, they position themselves. Obviously, because people are looking for gratification, people are looking for relief, people are looking for immediate answers, chances are by virtue of that person's clinical presentation is going to influence the way in which mm, these people mm. are going to fall in love with them and also whatever that they I mean, we've had pastors, um, we've had gobelas, initiators, who, people who use significant things out of because we are having a bit of trouble with uh, the line uh, for Annele. We will take him back to our producers and hopefully get him back on a better line. Okay. But Is it better now? Uh, much better. You can continue with your train of thought. All right. Okay. As I was saying, because there are these benefits, you see that something is working with this pastor or something is working with this traditional healer, something is working with whoever you believe in, then chances are people are going to be so aligned with the beliefs and practices of what then looks like um, is working with that person. So ideally, because there's something that people see it's working, there's a benefit, chances of really uh, making sense of the impact of what this can be are very slim. So you are likely to see people, even when they see there's potential harm, but some of these gains and some of these leverages that are presented by the pastor, that are presented by the religious leader, are seem kind of visible and, and beneficial for those mm. who are part of that grouping. Dr. Mpofu, let's bring you back. Uh, in many cases, individuals may not realize that they are actually involved in a cult until uh, after experiencing abuse or even manipulation. Uh, what are the, some some of the warning signs, if you will, or these red flags that individuals should be aware of when engaging with religious organizations or spiritual leaders? Yeah, thank you for that. And it's important also to explain that it is really baffling to see that some of the people who are actually manipulated into these practices are highly intellectual people. And the challenge is that when it comes to belief or religious practices, people tend to pack their rationality and they don't question things. And clearly the first sign when you are in any religious structure or organization and you are not allowed to question or even to ask if there are certain practices that you feel are not life-affirming, that is number one indication that something might be wrong. And usually that is accompanied by manipulation. And if you are somebody who is questioning, you are immediately isolated as somebody who is disobedient. And often there will be charges against you as somebody who doesn't want to submit, mm, you are mm. being insubmissive because you are questioning. Examples around how money is collected. We have some religious institutions or structures where people gather and there are huge amounts of money that are collected, but there are no proper accounting or transparent systems that account for what the money is being used for. And if you ask simple questions around, there was so much money that was raised by the church, what happened to it? You are victimized. And these are some of the challenges that we have, even in the mainland church. Sometimes we have leaders that 
don't want people to question things. Mm. But it is healthy to allow for people to question because if we suppress dissent, then we are slowly and indeed moving towards being a cult. Nokpila, I'm sure you'd agree with me that uh, cults often thrive in environments of uh, vulnerability, uh, such as uh, poverty or even social isolation. Uh, How can communities and religious institutions work together to really address these underlying factors and mitigate the risk of uh, cult recruitment? Um, I think um, these two stakeholders, they need to work together in a sense that there needs to be um, awareness and uh, education of uh, communities so that they can make a, um, they can be able to make a difference, to see the difference between a genuine religious belief or, or organization than one that's now a cult. And also they must see where they are able to exercise their autonomy or when they are being controlled. Because like um, my fellow uh, speaker um, also mentioned that uh, some people are even learned or educated, but they still uh, succumb to this cult, which means that it's not only uh, people who are uneducated, but because such leaders, they are very charismatic and they know how to spot one vulnerability and exploit it. They are, they are able to see what is it that an individual needs at this point in time and then use it to their financial gain or to serve whatever purpose that they might be wanting to achieve at that moment. So if there are support groups in communities whereby individuals who are struggling, whether financially or they are having any loss, they have resources that they can utilize to cope with whatever stresses that they might be facing at that moment. It might uh, minimize the chances of them being susceptible to this uh, mm. cult organization. Anele, when you look at uh, the Beyond TB Joshua interview or uh, the documentary, sorry, uh, we've seen other controversial religious figures, not just him, uh, such as we've also heard the likes of Paul McKenzie Ntenge in uh, Kenya, Litebuho, uh, Rabalaho, who's made headlines for e- extreme practices as well. You know, um, uh, here in South Africa, the the, the, the the doom pastors have also been highlighted, snake pastors and all sorts of uh, other. Uh, weird practices. What are some of the commonalities among these individuals and what patterns are emerging in their behavior that lead to the exploitation of their followers? Obviously, uh, strong personality disorder there. Um, and it's one of those difficult clusters to work with. Are these people, we can kind of label them as people with um personality structures and people of that nature have no regard for wrongfulness and because they are influential and so they then influence others to operate with that degree of always um, regarding what is considered to be ideal and these are people who live in their own imaginations and their own goals in want to others. There's a greater sense of control, greater sense of power. Anela, I'm going to ask you to move around a bit. Uh, we seem to be losing you on our line as well. Uh, while you endeavor to do that, uh, let me remind our listeners as well that we are uh, looking into the subject uh, of the thin line between religion and cultism. And this, of course, as part of our Culture Corner segment. Uh, and this also being inspired by uh, the recently uh, seen BBC documentary titled 
the cult of TB Joshua, sparking fresh discussions around this subject regarding this lasting impact of uh, not just him, uh, but other pastors and uh, their churches being at the center of allegations of uh, cultism, uh, even years after, for instance, the passing of uh, TB Joshua. These are subjects that continue to be raised. And and again, this documentary rekindles memories of uh, other controversial religious figures, uh, such as uh, the self-proclaimed pastor Paul Tenge in Kenya, who is alleged to have incited hundreds of his followers to starve to death to meet Jesus. You know, these are some of <laughs> these are some of the calls being made by this by these religious leaders. Anele, I do hope we have you back on a better line. Uh, yes. You can continue with the train of thought. Yes. So I think um, psychologically and clinically, there's a greater sense of a strong, evident personality disorder, which then influences how one engages with their power and control. And I mean, for someone who can make one believe that you can meet Jesus, certainly that person has a a grandiose, um, high degree of being in the world how they then see themselves, they then sell. It feels like when you look at it, they sell a product, right? And for this product to work, there's so much self-sacrifice. I mean, our theologian has mentioned that for as long as there's a degree of harm and a degree that then takes away humanity, then certainly something must be wrong. But this is where now we see when people go into church or when they get into the religious space, somewhat religious um, beliefs and convictions take away people's rationality. And it's important to highlight as much as faith, as much as beliefs and, and religious practices are important, whether African spirituality, whether Christianity or any form of uh, religious belief, it must be engaged with thorough, careful considerations of harm and also understanding that you must use your level of rationality, but the difficulty is are the gains that these pastors and religious leaders they offer to individuals. And when people are vulnerable, when people are in search of truth, and sometimes when they do not have the actual tools theologically and spiritually, especially when people are really in search of a meaningful sense of engaging with the world, they are likely to engage with people who can easily influence them. So there's a strong element of a clinical presentation, but also how that it, that it's because of the gains that are part of this process. Let's go back to Dr. Mpofu. Uh, Dr. Mpofu, as we get to the tail end of our conversation and also as we navigate these uh, complexities of religious belief and cult dynamics, are there resources that are available for individuals who may be struggling with involvement in a cult or who have loved ones in similar situations? Where do they find help? Yeah, the other challenge, especially with combining resources, is the complexity around this whole issue of harmful religious practices. But I will speak from a Christian perspective because I'm aware that the All-Africa Conference of Churches has had theological symposiums on what they call misleading theologies. So that means within the church environment, there is an ongoing conversation to begin to identify these harmful practices and address them. And they have had four such symposiums since uh, October in 2019. So what that means is that those within the church spaces 
can access those resources online. But I think generally, when we're talking about faith and religion, the South African government has a responsibility as well to assist some communities. Because if you look, for example, at what happened in Ethnobo, the Seven Angels Ministry, where six members of Mangoba Seven Angels uh, Ministry cult appeared at the Mkata High Court in the Eastern Cape for killing five police officers and a soldier. You can see that some of these spaces are actually a crime scene. So they need to be monitored where there's some suspicious activities happening in these cultic movements. I think the government and especially the security cluster has some responsibility in monitoring those activities so that where there are people that have been kidnapped, young girls or women, for example, they can be rescued before things get even worse for them. Those are some of the areas that I can highlight uh, for now. And thank you for having me once again. Thank you so much. Uh, Nokpila, maybe from a psychologist's uh, perspective, we have just under a minute left uh, before we wrap up the show. Uh, it, what source, what resources are available for people to get help? Um, anyone who's struggling with the after effects of having been involved in a cult can seek psychological help. There are government uh, hospitals that have psychologists uh, some can go to the nearest clinic, ask for a referral to see the nearest psychologist where they can have an individually tailored um, um, uh, help for them that's going to assist them get through the consequences of being part of that cult. Because um, having been in a cult might have also influenced the way that they see themselves, relationship with themselves, relationship with those around them, relationship uh, with the super being that they might be trying to transcend with. So... They might need uh, a therapy that is going to help now yeah. uh, restructure that kind of belief system in a sense that it's now beneficial for the individual and help them to maneuver their environment in a healthy manner. Thank you so much uh, to all my guests. That's uh, Dr. Butlempofu, Nogupila Masalela, as well as a clinical psychologist. Anele Siswana joined us as well for this conversation. Uh, he's a cultural expert and a clinical psychologist. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.